Amen and amen. How are we doing, church? Doing good? You look good. Some of you look a little sleepy. <laughs> hey, I'm a little hoarse. I was at a little worship event last night with 67,000 of my closest friends, and so I apologize for that. <clears throat> hey, it's a great day to be alive, is it not? It is a great day to be alive. It's a great day to be a Georgia Bulldog. It is, you know. Praise God. Even if you're not, you gotta like love us for just a minute, would you? I hope tomorrow we beat the Christian out of Texas Christian University, a bunch of Pharisees. <laughs> what are <them> people thinking? <clears throat> and it's a great day to be a Jaguar, is it not? Go Jags. I told you people, the tomb is empty. Anything is possible, never a doubt, never a doubt. <clears throat> How you gonna roll up in here worshiping your pagan god, Titan? Can't bring that nonsense in here. And it's a great day to be an 1122-er, is it not? It is, man, it is a great day to be an 1122-er. And if you would, I hope you would grab this vision piece and grab your Bible, the, the inspired, infallible, authoritative Word of God. This is what we stand upon. And this is our vision. This is, this is how we hope to accomplish this as a church. That's how this works, okay? And all we're going to do is just, if you're brand new here, this is gonna be like a little infomercial for about 15 minutes before we get to Luke chapter 12, which is where we're going. <clears throat> and if this is your first time here, man, what a great Sunday to be here because you can figure out if you wanna be a part of this thing. And this thing is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason that some of us are excited to be a part of this church is because God is doing an amazing thing through us and in us and to us. And we have virtually nothing to do with it. That God is doing immeasurably more than any of us ever dreamed of or hoped for or even had the audacity to ask God for, and to him and him alone be the glory, amen? <clears throat> and we need to celebrate just a little bit before we get going into 23, we need to thank God for 22 and what he has done. You know, there was this little thing in many states, not so much Florida, but there was this little pandemic that shut down the world. It kind of paused us here in Florida for just a minute, didn't it, praise God. And so, <clears throat> but one of the things that's exciting about 2022 is that we grew last year by 3,600 people, where many churches in the country still haven't even reached uh, the kind of attendance they were pre-COVID. We were 3,600 people over our pre-COVID numbers. And here, why, here's why I say this, man. Well done, 1122, on praying for your one more and sharing your faith with your one more and inviting your one more to come and meet Jesus. Last year, we sent 280 short-term missionaries all over the world on over 20 mission trips, right? That's pretty awesome. <clears throat> that last year we sent 17 full-time missionaries to the ends of the earth to declare the gospel, which, which takes us to a total of, we have 50 full-time missionaries that have gone out from 1122 that live somewhere around the world. That last year, you as a church, we planted 81 brand new, autonomous, local, indigenously led churches for a total of, we have planted 483 churches in the past few years. <clears throat> now let me tell you why that's incredible. Every single weekend, even though we have a whole bunch of people that attend our campuses here, 
Every single weekend, there are more people around the world in attendance of the churches that we have planted than are in attendance right here at 1122. And the reason I wanna celebrate that is because we never wanna be a cul-de-sac of the goodness and grace of God. We always wanna be a conduit of that grace of God. That last year, we baptized 1,083 people. <clears throat> it is the most people that have ever been baptized in a year at 1122, and please celebrate this one with me. Last year, 2,266 people trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. <laughs> Praise God. Now, one of the most influential voices at our church, a lady named Deb Peterson, who's married to one of our elders, Lars Peterson, a few years ago, she said this. She said that God didn't start this movement for us to stop it now that God didn't start this movement, this movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ, that God didn't start this movement in us for us to stop it now. And so while we praise God for all the things that he has done in the past, we know and believe that our best days are still in front of us. And this past fall, we started a brand new two-year discipleship journey called the 1010 Life. It's rooted in this verse, John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus, the good shepherd, he looks at his people, he looks at his flock, he looks at us, and he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So if you'll look here on your vision piece, over here on the other side, it says, life abundantly. That is the focus of 2023 for us. That what God has for you, what God wants for you, what I want for you is not to buy into the lies of this world, but I want you to step into the abundant life that Christ has for you. And we have asked this question and we will continue to ask this question at least for the next two years. Is your life defined by an abundance of possessions or are you pursuing the abundant life Christ has for you? If you want all kinds of information about this abundant life, if you go to our website, coe22.com slash 1010life, you're gonna find all kind of stuff there. I'd love for you to go through that. Now, if you'll grab your vision piece, this is just the directions that God has given us as this local body in regards to what we're focused on and where we are going this year. If you open it up, and by the way, if you've been around here for a minute, okay, or for like 10 years, that's how old we are, and it looks very, very familiar to previous years, it's because we ain't changing, man. The vision doesn't change. God has called us to be a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we tend to highlight or, or focus in on one area, like in 2022, we focused in on worship. We said it was the year of worship, and I'm just gonna say, it worked. You sound better than you did this time last year, okay? You're welcome. And this year is all about life abundantly. And what we do as a church is we are here, objective one, to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. That we are not primarily in the crowd business. I hope you know this. We are in the disciple-making business. If we were in the crowd business, I wouldn't talk so long. And you know what we would do every weekend? Monster trucks. Because it's the largest crowd in Jacksonville. You realize that? The number one crowd event every year in Jacksonville is the Monster Truck Show. Why? Because you can't hide money. <laughs> and everybody in Jacksonville shows up to that event, but we're not in the crowd business. We are in the disciple-making business. And what I want to encourage you to do 
If you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want you to take this discipleship journey and I want you to go to our website and on our website, coe22.com slash connect, and you ask yourself a series of questions. And actually, this is better done if you do this with somebody else. Maybe somebody from your disciple group or somebody that you know that's a little further along in their walk with Jesus. And there's just a few diagnostic questions to ask yourself this. What is my next step of obedience in my walk with Jesus? Because listen, by definition, if you'll notice, there's no end here. By definition, if you stop taking steps of obedience, then you are by definition no longer following after Jesus. Because none of us have arrived. From this breath to your last breath, Jesus will continuously invite you to follow after him. And that might be a step of obedience in regards to disciple group, or it might be generosity, or it might be serving after you discover what your gifts are. And for some of you, for many of you, for over 2,000 of you who just put your faith in Jesus over this last year, what the Bible prescribes is the Bible prescribes the first step of obedience after surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is to declare it to the whole world, to declare that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior through baptism. And so what we're going to do here today to kick this year off, because it's a new year and we wanna celebrate new life, is we're gonna celebrate a baptism. And let me tell you, there's a few things that happen here. That Pastor Chris is gonna ask a question, who is Jesus Christ to you? Then the person getting baptized is going to declare that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, and then you have a role too. You have a role too. When we see somebody go from death to life, you better lose your mind exponentially more than when Josh Allen picked up that little scooping score and ran in for the touchdown, right? Because that was awesome, I ain't gonna lie, it was pretty awesome. I'm a little hoarse because of it, but it is nothing compared to somebody that goes from death to life, amen? And so, as a first step of obedience, that's all this is, as a first step of obedience in putting your faith in Christ, we're gonna celebrate somebody taking that step in baptism. We want you to hear their story and then we're going to celebrate a baptism. Check out this video. There were a lot of things that I was afraid of and had anxiety about. And before I knew who Jesus was, I looked to alcohol to numb that anxiety and to numb that fear. Some things happened and I realized I needed to choose sobriety. And I also at the same time decided to start coming to church. And there was a service that Joby was speaking at where it felt like he was talking directly to me. And I just came to understand that I needed to choose sobriety and surrendering at the same time. It's, I've tried it before and it's been, diff, it's been impossible. But when I tried it, once I surrendered, it was easy. For me, baptism is a declaration that I believe and that I know that Jesus loves me. Baptism to me feels like worshiping. It feels like showing what I believe and showing it to the world. My name is Tori R, and Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Amen, amen. Church family, this is Tori. As Tori said that baptism is an outward display of an inward working faith. Tori, who is Jesus to you? Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Amen, and amen, and based upon that declaration, 
We're going to baptize you, our Christian sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. family, Tori. That's awesome. We ought to hand out towels like we did last night. Show me that's what we, somebody write that down. Works for me. Write that down. We're going to do the towel thing at our next baptism. Sean, get by some towels. It was always Jesus. That's what it used to say. All right, here we go. <laughs> All right, we're only in objective one. So what's your next step? All right, some of you need to get baptized after every service is a baptism class. And for the next three weeks, we're going to celebrate new life by celebrating baptisms. And so many, many, many of you go to those classes, take about 10 or 15 minutes so you know what you're getting into and, and get baptized. Turn the page. The next one is 1122 Life. This is a big old family. This is what this is. It's a big dysfunctional family. Can I get a witness? Just look around for a second. But every decent family has, has family rhythms. You know, maybe for you it's like a certain night of the week you eat dinner or the way you do Christmas or the way you do family vacation or whatever it is. And so what this 1122 life is, is these are the family events. These are the, the big bucket family events that you don't wanna miss, man. You don't wanna miss these. These are a really big deal. The first one is Easter. And it is, if there is no empty tomb, then we're just wasting our time here. You should get another hobby. It is a big deal. It's April 6th, 8th, and 9th. Now, Easter's actually just a night, but we have to have multiple services in order to, to house all the people, to hear that if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. And I need a bunch of you, and I know the remnant is here right now. If you're at the nine o'clock service post-Jags, AFC Southwind, then you're varsity, okay? Welcome, glad you're here. I need every single one of you to plan on either coming to the sixth or the eighth. This is gonna be your missionary moment, so part of your your ministry moment next, this year is gonna be provide an empty seat for a Sunday morning service. I'm not kidding, this is no jokes here, all right? Go ahead and plan it accordingly now. And so we want you to be here for that. And, and by the way, to get ready, um, my wife Gretchen is writing 40 devos for Lent for us to get ready. Remember she did it for Saturated last year, she's doing it again this year. And so our hearts will be ready. Yeah, man, they'll be great. The second one is beach baptism. If you thought that was awesome, do that 500 more times. On, uh, on May 21st, we're gonna gather at the beach. We're gonna break Hannah Park once again. We are gonna baptize, <coughs> we're gonna baptize 500 people or something like that, all right? It's gonna be incredible. If you've never been to our beach baptism, you have no idea what you're missing. It's like tailgating for Jesus. If you're Baptist, it's like dinner on the grounds, but the grounds are the beach. It's incredible. We usually get a flyover from Mayport. That's pretty awesome. If you're a surfer, bring your board. For, it'll be flat for weeks, and then baptism, it's like every single time. All right, so come be a part of that. <clears throat> the next thing is saturated, September 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th. Here's what saturated is. Saturated is our version of a revival. I'm just not presumptuous enough to, to tell God he's gotta revive us, but we wanna position ourselves in such a way that we'll be saturated in the presence of God, saturated in the gospel of God, that we would just get together and make much of him. I think the problem with adult discipleship is adults quit going to camp. This is our version of camp. Where I'm gonna bring in a bunch of my buddies, the best preachers from all over the world, a bunch of worship leaders from all over the place, and we're just gonna make much of Jesus. And then lastly, the big old event is this, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve this year is on the 24th again, but around here is the 21st, the 23rd, and the 24th. 
And a part of the reason we do a big Christmas Eve service is because even your one mores that are the most anti-church people that you're praying for, there's this thing that happens when it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas that people are more apt to show up to a Christmas Eve service. This last year, we had over 26,000 people in attendance and over 150 people surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So... <clears throat> If you'll flip to the very back of this thing, go ahead and write down your one more's name. Like write it down right now. And you're beginning to pray starting today that by the time we do our Easter services, your one more will put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen man, don't you scam, but schedule some kind of dumb vacation over one of these dates. And if you already have taken time off, then Call your boss and be like, can't do it. The Lord told me I've got to work that week and I've got to take off another week. Because here's the thing, man. Jesus said that the greatest commandment in all the Bible is this, is to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and your strength. Now, here's the thing. I can't make you love God, but we can set up the dates. That's what this is. This is the kind of environment that you do not want to miss as a church and as an individual. So be there for that. Turn the page, the next thing is this, it's the 1010 Life. As I mentioned, <clears throat> this past fall we started a, a brand new two year discipleship initiative rooted in this 1010 Life and there are three buckets. One is church life, that we're going to continue to be a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's just what we do. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna continue to gather together as a big faith family to glorify God in worship and word and song and in scripture. And so we're gonna get in here, we're gonna sing our faces off and then I'm gonna open up the Bible, me and some other fellas, and we are going to unpack God's word for you. And the banner over which I put together the entire sermon series for this year is abundant life. I want you, because God wants you, to have life abundantly. So next week we begin a three week series called Life Defined. Like, what is your life defined by? Because the enemy's gonna lie to you. The enemy's gonna try to bait you and lure you away from the abundant life that Christ has for you, but he's only got three tricks. He's got the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and over the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about how you reject those lies and how you pursue the abundant life. And then after that, we're doing a nine-week series on the book of Philippians. It's only four chapters. Paul writes it from prison and it is saturated in joy. The word joy or rejoice shows up more times per verse in the book of Philippians than anywhere else in the Bible. Let me ask you this, any of you need joy? Any of you need, you obviously do because you just went Meh. So man, you need a lot of it. <laughs> I know you're tired, but listen, that's what we're gonna talk about. Then beginning on Easter for nine weeks, we're going to a series called Anything is Possible. Why, because if the tomb is empty, that's right, man, and we're gonna study the miracles of God and how these nine miracles of God reveals God's heart for his people. And I've got a new book coming out that corresponds with that, and we believe that if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. Then after that, we're doing a 14-week series in the book of James. James is like the wisdom literature of the New Testament. You see, because a lot of times what we want is knowledge. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And James is gonna say, if any, of you, if any of you is foolish, 
ask God for wisdom. Knowledge is what do I do. Wisdom is how do I conduct myself in light of who God is and the circumstances I find myself in. And if you've never studied the book of James, James was the brother of Jesus. So he don't tell a lot of stories. I think James was frustrated. Can you imagine if your big brother was Jesus? Why don't you clean your room like Jesus does? But he don't even have to do nothing. He just goes, and it's clean, all right? <laughs> and Jesus never answers questions with answers. It's always more questions. Or consider the lilies. He tells stories. James don't tell stories. James says, do this, don't do that. Next, that's how he does, all right? So it's like the book of wisdom of the New Testament. Then we're gonna do a, a, a four-week series on the Proverbs so that we know how to live this abundant life. Then we're gonna do a, a family series. It's actually in reverse, family series, then Proverbs. Because how many of you know this, man? You cannot live the abundant life if your family's jacked up. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. Don't say it too loud, but depending on who you rode here with, it's like, look, amen. You, people need to be here for that one, all right? <clears throat> then we'll do a Proverbs series for five weeks, and then we're gonna do a five-week Christmas series. All right, so that's what we're doing. We're a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. So part of what it means, part of what it means to, to be in this church life is you need to take the next step. If you're not in a disciple group, you need to get into a disciple group. Listen, man, you need to get into a disciple group because we don't, it's not just enough if you show up here once a week and I spoon feed you the Bible. See, one of the things that I hear all the time is people that consider themselves mature Christians will say, well, I'm not being fed. You ever heard that before? I'm just not being fed. Sounds spiritual, doesn't it? You know what the baby says about, I mean, you know what the Bible says about you? That if you've been, now listen, man, if you're a brand new Christian, the girl just got, just got baptized, no problem, man. You show up here every week and I will, you're so cute and fat and lovable, look at you. And I'll spoon feed you a little applesauce right out of here, you know, no problem. Just open, make the airplane, here it comes. Get ready. But if I said turn to Luke 12 and you could find it, Within four minutes, then it's time for you to grow up, all right? Now, don't get me wrong. Every single week, man, I'm gonna be cutting up the steak. I mean, I'm gonna teach it as hard as I can. I'm gonna preach the word, but it is not just enough for you to come and sit and soak. You gotta get in circles and dig into the word and pray about the word and, and ask hard questions to one another, all right? Because people show up to church all the time. People that have been like professional church people, they're like, I'm not being fed. You're like a big fat baby, walks up here, freaking milk juice on your lips and your diaper full of crap, just swinging your umbilical cord going, feed me, feed me, feed me. All right, look here, Jabba. You gotta open up this book here and feed yourself. You understand? That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> Disciple groups, get in one. <laughs> Told you I was in a good mood. Next. Turn the page, you get to eternal life. Eternal life is a part of, part of the 1010 life, and this is what, this means that what we are going to do is we're gonna plant churches all over the world. We're gonna plant a bunch of other churches to reach a 1,000 one day, that's gonna be really cool. We're gonna put campuses anywhere and everywhere God allows us to. Then we're gonna open a campus in the north side. I know we've been working on it for a minute, but we're gonna open it this year, praise up by the airport, that's cool. Um, we're gonna begin We've actually begun this a long time ago, but, but we're continuing to work on our St. John's permanent campus. So stay tuned, St. John's. We're gonna start knocking down trees soon. I'm really excited about this and that we're going to move into another prison. We're moving into Columbia Correctional Institution. Praise God, because we're a movement for all people and all means all. 
And then there's also stuff happening in Sarasota and Orlando and Palatka, and we're just gonna go wherever the Lord tells us to go. And then if you flip the page, then you will see this section called Abundant Life. Because a part of what the 1010 life is all about is this, is that, again, man, we're gonna participate in church life, we're gonna participate in eternal life, and then we are gonna fight for the abundant life of every single image bearer of God. I began, I felt like God began to stoke me to ask this question. Imagine what it would look like for a church not to just have a political stance of being pro-life, but what would it look like for a church to be pro-life from womb to tomb, from conception to casket, that we got into the war fighting for the dignity of every single human being from the moment that God conceived them to the moment they went to go see him. And so if you go to coe22.com slash 1010life, there is an opportunity for you to serve. And I need, we need you, and the people of this world need you to serve. We need thousands and thousands and thousands of serve staff. Everything from foster care to First Coast Women's Services to senior adult ministry to, to fighting for our first responders. I mean, there, there is plenty for all of us to do. And here's a big reason you need to do this. This has been my experience being a pastor for 30 years now. That the best way for you to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ is get over to you and help somebody else discover theirs. And you watch what the Lord does in you and through you and to you when you begin to realize that you are rescued and you become a part of the rescue team. Now, here is what the Lord is offering to you. There's the, I feel like Morpheus, okay? There's a red pill and there's a blue pill. And you can take the blue pill and you can go back to the way the world has said that you ought to live and you know it doesn't work. There is the abundant life and there's the anxious life. And the choice is yours. In 2023, the choice is yours. And what's crazy is you have been down that road before and you know where it goes and I'm telling you this world spends billions of dollars a day to get you to buy into the lie to walk down that road. In Luke chapter 12, I see Jesus offering this choice. Do you want the abundant life or do you want the anxious life? Do you want the abundant life or do you want the anxious life? And we're gonna pick it up in verse 13 but in order to understand what's happening in 13, you gotta know what the first 12 verses are all about. And what Jesus does for the first 12 verses is he talks all about eternity. He's trying to lift up everybody's eyes off of the temporary, and he's trying to get them to see God in light of eternity. That, that it's not YOLO, you only live once, you fool. You only live forever, so you should make the most of it. So beware of hypocrisy is what he's talking about. Don't, don't, don't get caught up in the religious fights and battles of this world, but get focused on talking about Jesus and talking about forever. And he's talking about, he's trying to get people to have an eternal perspective, because here's what I've found to be true. The people most focused on eternity seem to get the most out of life right now. But the people that spend all of their time, effort, energy, passion, dollars on this life right now seem to be the most disappointed people on the planet. So this is a choose for yourself this day whom you will serve kind of thing. All right, we gotta go fast. Luke chapter 12, beginning of verse 13. And remember, in the, in the context of Jesus teaching on eternity, verse 13 says this, and someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, enough about eternity. Can we talk about now? 
tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, he totally misses the point. He wants to talk about me, wants to talk about mine, wants to talk about now. Jesus is trying to talk about heaven, trying to talk about God, trying to talk about eternity. This dude wants to talk about me, mine, and now, which, by the way, is the entire vocabulary of the human appetite. But Jesus said to him, man, every time I see this, you ever watch Sports Center? You ever see the, come on, man, you ever see that segment? That's when somebody in football does something stupid and the commentator goes, come on, man, I feel like Jesus. See, if you, if you do Bible study enough, you'll, you'll even let Sports Center disciple you, you understand? <laughs> it's when somebody just totally screws up, Jesus is looking at him, he's like, come on, man, are you not paying attention? Man, who made me to judge or an arbiter over you, arbitrator over you? And he said to them, not just the brother, but his older brother. Why, because they both have a problem. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Take care. Take care is not the southern goodbye. Take care. That's not what he's talking about. Some translations translate that. Watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard. What do you have to be on your guard against? Something that's attacking you. Something is attacking you and you have to watch out for it because he's an enemy and he's got schemes and he's tricky and he lies. And the full frontal attack doesn't usually work, but you've gotta watch out, you've gotta be on your guard, you gotta be ready to fight against this. Against what? Covetousness. Some translations translate that greed. Because you'll just begin to look at some stuff of this world and then you will think that that kind of stuff is going to bring you abundant life and it will not. You gotta guard against the idol of comparison. Because it will only lead to pride or condemnation. You've got to be on guard against the idol of comfort, which is the ultimate goal of the environment that we live in. You realize that? The whole goal is to be comfortable, to live a comfortable life, to have a comfortable retirement. That's the whole goal. You've got to be on guard. You've got to be on guard against covetousness. And the reason you've got to be on guard is because it'll sneak up on you. It'll creep up. You ever walk through the store and you realize, I didn't even know I needed that until I see it. How can I even live my life now? You ever do that? I went to a friend of mine's house. He goes to church here. You know him. He's super famous. Some of you idolize him. Y'all know who I preached here one time. And I went over to his house. And let me just say, he's got a nice house. And so we walked in, and his ceilings were the size of the ceilings here at San Pablo. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Do you know I was completely content with my ceilings before I left? <laughs> and I went back into my house when we got home. I was like, I don't even feel like I can stand up all the way. How do we... You better be on guard. It's creepy, man. Be on guard against defining your life by what you own, or if you're not careful, it will own you. And listen, while Jesus is primarily gonna talk about money a lot here, I am not primarily talking about money. We're talking about time and talent and treasure and passion and energy. Be on guard, because this world spends billions of dollars a day to warn against what Christ offers you, which is abundant life. To war against what we're gonna learn in the book of Philippians is the goal, to learn the secret of being content in every situation. And the best thing, the best thing this world can offer you is happy. Now, ain't nothing wrong with happy. It's just rooted in your happenings. Now listen, man, you've heard this phrase, right? Money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a truck. You can pull a boat, that's a fact. Buy you a jet ski. Ever seen sad people on jet ski? <laughs> you have if you've been around them long enough. What about when it runs out of gas? What about when it breaks down? What about when you gotta make that payment again? 
Yeah, man. All of the temporary things of this world will let you down. It's just what they do. Now, what's crazy about it is when you understand that our good God is a good dad, he loves to give good gifts, and he's the giver of all good things, then your worship never terminates on the jet ski, but you can frolic around if you can afford a jet ski and lift up to God, thank you so much for the jet ski. It's not about the stuff, it's where are you putting your hope? And then it's as if Jesus was paying attention to our 1010 Life series, and he's a podcaster, and he says this, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now everybody believes that cognitively. We've seen enough VH1 behind the musics to realize that mo' money does not equal mo' happy and mo' smarter, does it? No. And I've told you this before, but when I first moved to town, Pastor, uh, Pastor Stone, Ryan Stone, he made me go to a Greyhound race. I didn't wanna go, he took me, okay? And we went to, actually that's not true at all. He was so uncomfortable. I'd never seen one in real life. I moved to Florida, I wanted to go see it. He was so, he was like just sweaty palms the whole time, because he grew up like super Baptist. He grew up so Baptist that his mama, when I was growing up, if they had fountain drinks, we'd make a suicide, remember that? You'd get a little bit of all the Coke products. His mama wouldn't let him do that because that was a mixed drink. That's the next level of fundamentalism, is it not? Okay, so it explains a lot about him. St. John's, pray for you, campus pastor, okay. <laughs> and if you watch the greyhound, a greyhound spends its entire life chasing after a thing that's not real. And race after race after race, the guy announces, here's Rusty, and a fake rabbit comes out, and the greyhounds chase after the fake rabbit, and you look at the, the greyhound and you think, what a dumb dog. I can't believe you would spend your whole life chasing after a rabbit that's not even a real rabbit. And every single Monday morning when the alarm clock goes off, it might as well say, here's Rusty. And we're like, here we go again. And I don't know what's more sad, the one that wastes his whole life chasing a thing that's not real or eventually grabs onto it and realizes it's been deceived. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him a parable. The land of a rich man. By the way, if you were in that crowd, everybody in that crowd would have put you in the rich man category. I know you don't think you're rich because you don't feel rich and, and rich is not a feeling, okay? But this man was rich. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now let me ask you this. When God blesses you, when it goes good, do you first well up with gratitude to God or do you first look at yourself? You see, this is the fundamental difference between the anxious life and the abundant life. Look what he first does. His first response to a bountiful harvest, verse 17, and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and will build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul, anybody feel sorry for this guy? Just got too much stuff. Now listen, man, you see, these are first world problems right here. These are rich people problems. Do you know you have rich people problems? They're different than regular people problems? And you're like, no, I'm not rich. Let me ask you this. You ever run out of hangers? You ever run out of hangers? I got too many clothes, man. I got, where the hangers go? They ain't going everywhere you think they went. They still up there, they, they got clothes on them. You know people in the slums of Uganda don't run out of hangers. They run out of clothes. And you look around, where am I gonna put all these? I got too many, I got too many clothes. You ever do that? <laughs> you, ever, you ever run out of space in your garage? 
right? Like, you had too much stuff for your house, so you built a house for your cars, and then now, you, now your stuff is in their house, so they gotta stay out in the driveway, a bunch of homeless cars. So then you know what you do? You go get a storage unit for your stuff. You board it, climate controlled. Never do that? And then haven't seen it since the Trump administration? The stuff you're paying for? That's rich people problem. You ever run out of room in your fridge to put your food in? You order so much food, you go to, you know, and you come home with a bag of thing right here, and then you open it up, and you're mad. You're like, what in the heck? I ain't got nowhere to store this stuff. Oh, cupcake, it's so hard being you, right? That's this guy's problem. And he's trying to figure out what to do, and 12 times he says it's all about me. Me, mine, I will build for myself more barns. And then what's interesting, man, is he starts talking to his soul. See, he thinks there's a connection between his stuff and his soul. Here's the lie, here's the lie. Is that you can begin to believe that your stuff can satisfy or secure your soul, and it never can. And he says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That's the American dream written 2,000 years ago. That that is the goal. Here's how I know this is us. That there are 23 million storage units in America. 2.8 billion square feet. Did you know there's enough square footage in storage units for every American to stand in one? All of us could fit in the storage units. That's crazy. It's a $24 billion annual business. Some of you probably buy one right now. God bless you, okay? It's just stuff, man. So he's got all this stuff in these storage units in verse 20, but God. Sometimes when you see the words but God, it's good news and ain't good news. But God said to him, fool. This is the only time in the Bible that God directly calls somebody a fool. Fool. You know what the antithesis to foolishness is? Wisdom. Proverbs is gonna teach us that the beginning of wisdom is a fear of the Lord. You know what the beginning of foolishness is? Rejection of God, I got this, with my barns and I'm gonna say to my soul. But God says to him, fool, listen to me, I don't want God to call you a fool. And some of you are fools. Because you've spent more time preparing for the last day of work than you've prepared than you've prepared for the last day on this planet. And there will come a day where every single one of us will stand before the Lord and he will either call you a fool or well done, good and faithful servant. Those are your options. And he doesn't call you well done, good and faithful servant because you crushed it. He doesn't say well done, good and fruitful servant. He says well, well done, good and faithful servant. The fool is the one that looks at a loving heavenly father that would send his son, Jesus Christ, on a rescue mission for us, live a perfect life, go to the cross, die in our place, and then say whosoever would put their trust in me, I would give you that abundant life, wipe your sins away, and adopt you into the family of God. And the fool says, forget you, I got this. So which one are you gonna hear, man? Fool or faithful servant? But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. In other words, bro, your stuff cannot do anything to protect your soul. It can direct it, but it cannot protect it. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? We talk about this all the time, right? Everything that you store up for yourself, one day somebody else is gonna get. We've talked about this all the time. Like, you're gonna tithe or you're gonna tithe. Everything you have, we're gonna sell it in Hope's Closet. You realize that? It's just true. Why? Because the death rate in America hovers around, right around what? 100%. 100%. And so there will come a day. Look, you look great. I'm telling you, you look great. 
but one day, you're gonna die. I mean, it's car wreck or cancer. It's all, we're all getting out of this dead, you understand? And they're gonna dig a hole, dress you up, throw dirt in your face. We're gonna come back here and talk about how great you are at the church. That's what we're gonna do. And then everything you have, those golf clubs you had to have, somebody better than you is gonna play with them. That's just gonna happen, man. Hey, I gotta tell you a story. You know, I, I talk about this all the time, right? Everything you have is either sold in a garage sale or an estate sale, same thing. Estate sale is just pimento cheese. That's it. <laughs> same thing. So I was preaching in Scotland. Got a friend in six row back there from Scotland. I was preaching at this church in Scotland, this guy that we partner with uh, outside of Edinburgh, and um, he's listening to me preach a lot, <clears throat> and so as I'm about to get up to preach, he lets me know, he's like, listen, man, these people are gonna love you, and, but they don't laugh. Like, the Scottish, they, they, just, they just stand there with their arms, literally when I said that, my Scottish friend just crossed his arms, I just watched him, okay? He's like, that's what they're gonna do, all right? They're gonna look at you like a mannequin, but in their heart, they're cheering you on, all right? And I'm like, okay, that's fine, I got this. And so I get up there and I'm preaching, and I think I'm preaching on the parable of the talents, and, and he says the same kind of thing. And I'm saying, everything you have is gonna be sold in a garage sale. And then I was like, some of you are gonna go through your mama's pants, and you're gonna hold up your mama's pants, you're gonna be like, look at mama's pants. And when I said pants, they started giggling. And I'm a sucker for response, okay, based pretty much on my own insecurity. So I'm hammered down on pants. And I was like, why is mama's pants so big? And I'm just pants, 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 pants. And they are dying, they are, and I told it, I'm, I'm, in my mind, I thought, what you talking about, man? I got the hand of God on me. I can go anywhere at any time, preach the word of God. Don't worry about me, son. Okay. <laughs> I get done preaching, I walk up, and this guy from America lives in Scotland. He goes, Pastor, great sermon, thanks, man. He goes, just needed you to know, in Scotland, pants means panties. <laughs> so I'm like, look at mama's big old panties. That's what I'm doing for like 20 minutes. Okay, so anyway. Ha! Same on me. Okay, be on guard, because here's the lie. Here's the lie. Here's the lie. Here's what our money, here's what our stuff, here's what our houses, our cars, here's what it, it, tell, it lies to us. Our money lies to us. And here's the lie. If you love me, I'll love you back. And we believe it, and the reason we believe it, and the reason it feels like it is affirmed is because we've associated love with all the feels. And feelings are associated with love, but primarily love in the Bible is described as provision and protection. See Jesus on the cross, didn't feel good, but he was loving us. He was protecting us and providing for us. But see, we think like when our car says, if you love me, I'll love you back, we believe it because you buy it and you feel good and then you sit down in it and hit the seat warmers and you're like, ooh, oh, it's loving me right now. But it will always let you down. It can't love you. It just doesn't have the ability to. And so Jesus is saying, so you're a fool if you place all of your hope and all of your trust and all of your love in the temporary things that cannot do it for you. He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let me just ask you, church, are you rich towards God? Because here's what, it's counterintuitive. What's crazy is when you are rich towards God, and I'm not just talking about money, man, time, talent, treasure, energy, affections, passions. When you are rich towards God, what's crazy is that you live the abundant life now. But when you are greedy towards God and rich towards you, the bad news is, is all you got is you with some new pants. That's all you have. And it will always let you down. And if you've got the kind of Bible that has the little like subject headings over the next paragraph, the next section here is called do not be anxious. 
Why? Because when you are not rich towards God, but you're greedy towards God, and you are rich towards you, then the, what that leads to is an anxious life. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll put on. In other words, what Jesus is saying is you got one of two options, man. Be rich towards me, an abundant life. Be rich towards you, greedy towards God, an anxious life. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They've neither they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than birds. Here's what he's saying. To the person that sees money as security, watch out, man. Watch out that a raven has more faith than you. Because, listen, God's not anti-retirement account. He's anti-putting your trust in your savings. When you, if you log on and a number feels like it will protect your soul, it just can't. He says, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And if the ravens have figured this out, now don't tell PETA, but you were more valuable than birds. And if God takes care of the birds, won't he take care of you? Be on guard against that. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The answer is nobody. In fact, more anxiety equals less life. That's just how it goes. You see that peace is not found in possessions. Peace is found in a person. The Prince of Peace, his name is Jesus. If you were not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about all the rest? And then he says, consider the lilies, consider the flowers. Why? Because there's, there's two types of people when it comes to money and possessions and that kind of stuff. There are the savers and the spenders. And some people, when they get some, man, they save it. It makes you feel good about saving it. God bless you people. We need you people. I ain't one of you people. Then there are the spenders, right? Amen, spenders? But our problem is we get a little bit of, we get a little bit of change and we think if I buy this stuff, it will satisfy me like some new clothes or a new whatever. And so he says, so look at the flowers, consider the lilies, these are the spenders. How they will grow, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, like they don't go to the mall, they don't buy any clothes for themselves, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Now listen, man, is there anything wrong with saving? No. Anything wrong with spending? No. It's if you think your money, your stuff is going to take care of you, if you think it's gonna protect and provide, if you think it's gonna bring satisfaction and security, then it will let you down every single time. And do not seek what you were to eat and what you were to drink, nor be worried, for all the nation of the world seeks after these things. In other words, when you put your hope in stuff, you're acting like an atheist. That's what he's saying. You're like, what? But I go to church, and I sing with my hands up. Yeah, cool, you should. But when you put your faith in stuff, whether it's for your security or your satisfaction, you're acting like the rest of the world that doesn't know Jesus acts. And your Father knows that you need them. Verse 31, instead seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. In other words, you got an option. You want the abundant life? Seek him and his kingdom. And look, there's no special offering today or anything. I'm not even really talking about money, time, talent, treasure, passion, energy, focus. Seek first his kingdom or 
You can seek yourself in your own kingdom. One leads to anxiety, one leads to an abundance. And then my English teacher told me, never mix metaphors. And Jesus said, forget you, I write how I wanna write. He's gonna use three metaphors in one sentence to describe God's heart for you and me. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. Now there's an enemy that only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a stranger that's gonna speak lies to you, but don't be afraid. There's a wolf prowling around to try to get you, but don't be afraid. And the reason you don't have to be afraid, little flock, is because he's a good shepherd. And the sheep hear his voice and they do what he says. But fear not, little flock, because your father's good pleasure. He's a good dad and he loves his kids. And maybe you don't get everything you want just like any good dad or any good mom here does not always say yes to their kids because you love them. You care more about them and about how they feel in the moment. He's a good father, that's just who he is and we're loved by him, that's just who we are. The moment you can get your mind around that, it changes everything about everything about everything. And so he's a good shepherd and he's a good dad and he's a good king and his desire is to give you the kingdom, to give you the kingdom. Man, you want some new clothes? I got really good news. Do you realize that when we meet him face to face, we will be arrayed in robes of righteousness? That's way better than your slick Lulu pants that you got on. You want a nice house? Jesus said, in my Father's house there are many rooms and I'm preparing one for you. This is where your kitchen never goes out of date. You realize that? Actually, you don't even need a kitchen in heaven. Why? Because there's a banqueting table prepared for you and every single one of us through the blood of the cross have been invited as sons and daughters to sit at the table. Your circumstances are shady. Hey man, guess what? When you get there, fear not, fear not, little flock. Because he's a good dad and he desires to give you the kingdom and he's gonna wipe away every single tear. And nobody's gonna walk with a swagger and nobody's gonna walk with a limp. And I just heard somebody's 1010 alarm go off. Praise God for that, right? <laughs> that right now at 1010, this is what he wants for you. He wants for you the abundant life, not a life of anxiety. And so, the choice is yours, man. The choice is yours. Now, this is not a magic pill, end all, be all. This is an invitation to say, I resolve I resolve to pursue the abundant life that Christ wants to give to me. About this time of year, people always ask me about New Year's resolutions. What do I think about them? Uh, I'm about 50-50. Not on accomplishing them, I'm zero, all right? The good news about the New Year's resolution is it's evident that you ain't got this. See last year's resolutions. I mean, look at you, right? I'm sure you're doing great. It's been a whole week, huh? I tell you, if we win the natty tomorrow, I'm gonna break all of my resolutions. Don't worry about me, okay? So, there's a difference, even though the words have the same origin. In English, according to the dictionary, they mean something different. Now, it's an okay thing, I think, at this time of year to do a self-evaluation, run it through the Shema, am I loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, as I steward the life that God has given me. And for sure, there's a, you should probably not watch as much Netflix and quit yelling at your kids and quit drinking so much, and maybe you need to back off the pound cake, okay, cool. Go wiggle with everybody else at the gym for three weeks, make yourself feel better, all right, for sure. But, 
The key to understanding the difference between a resolution and resolve is that a resolution is defined as a decision to do something and not do something. It's rooted in this, I got this. But the dictionary says that resolve is defined as a firm determination to do a thing. What if we as a church resolved to fear not, little flock? And we resolved to tune our ears to the voice of the good shepherd. And the good shepherd's desire is to draw us away from the enemy who steals and kills and destroys. And his good desire is to give us the kingdom, to give us abundant life. And that abundant life is found in him. And we resolved We're not just gonna make a mental decision to try to do better this year, but we resolved to fear not, little flock, but to know our heavenly Father. And we resolved to move towards the abundant life that he has for us, knowing that his desire is to give it to you, to give you the kingdom. That's what we're doing in 2023. Would you please stand and let me pray for you. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you more than anything because you first loved us. God, we thank you that fear is not a feeling. Fear is not a reaction to a set of circumstances. Fear is a spirit that does not come from you. And God, the reason that we don't have to fear is because you're a good shepherd, you're a good dad, and you're a good king. And you love your kids. And Lord, I pray that even if 23 is a year of trial, that even that is a good gift from you because what you desire for us is to give us your kingdom, that abundant life. Lord, I thank you and I praise you that an abundant life is not defined as an abundance of possessions, but an abundance in a relationship with you. By the Spirit of God, through the blood of Jesus, under the banner of the love of the Father over his kids, God, would you give us that resolve this year to pursue that abundant life? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, we respond. And listen, we sing and we bring and we pray. It's what we do all the time, right? So we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing. We're gonna join our voices together and declare that what we're saying is true to the one who we need to help us. And we're gonna bring our tithes and our offerings. And we pray. And if you're honest, man, if you're honest, there actually shouldn't be any people in the seats. Every single one of us that need the Spirit of God to help us resolve to pursue this abundant life that Christ offers for us, need to sprint down here and get on our face and go before our almighty God and maker and say, God, I need you, I need you, I need you. So let's sing, let's bring, and won't you come and let's pray. Let's go.